From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. Supreme Court decision season is upon us. And with that, we wait for the final opinion in the Mississippi abortion ban case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. The idea of living in a post-Roe world is terrifying. The impacts will be broad and almost everyone will feel them in one way or another. This is the truth that activists and organizers on the ground in states like Mississippi, Florida, and Texas know all too well. They've been warding off anti-abortion attacks for decades, all while mounting a meaningful resistance focused on community conversation and education. They are, in many ways, the leaders of the reproductive rights movement. Amidst all of the reasons to quit, they continue to fight. Individual action turns into collective action, turns into political action. We can learn a lot from activists and organizers like Tyler, Chriselle, and Vienna, which is exactly why we are having these three join us today. We'll discuss how they have weathered the hardest of times on the ground in their own communities and highlight their work as a playbook for us all moving forward. Tyler, Chriselle, Vienna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We've been talking a lot about the moment that we are in, a moment that many of us have expected, and yet that expectation certainly didn't mellow the blow when we saw the leak of Justice Alito's draft opinion. I want to talk about your reaction to reading, seeing, hearing about Justice Alito's draft opinion. Tyler, because you're from Mississippi, where the Supreme Court case stems from, I was hoping that you could start. What can you share about your reaction um, on the ground in Mississippi? Yeah, so that was a Monday night and I got the news. I was at home cooking, um, watching TV, just living life, really. Um, And so immediately after that, um, there was a lot of questions from folks like our volunteers and people in our community about what this means for the moment. And so a lot of our time has been spent clarifying for folks that even though that opinion came out. It's a draft opinion and it has no legal implications for now. We want folks to know that abortion services are still available. They have appointments, keep them. If they still need to make appointments in the meantime, they can still make them. Yeah, that's really important to make sure that people can can get uh, abortions if they need them in the meantime before this decision becomes final. Yeah. And I also think that this is also a reflection of how our country continues to uphold white supremacy and patriarchy. To tell the truth, that's how we got here in the first place. Um, Knowing that the protections that Roe offered, while it didn't necessarily guarantee abortion access to everybody, it at least gave folks some type of access. But even in a place like Mississippi, before this, we only had one abortion clinic with one provider. So we really never got to experience the possibility of Roe. And that just goes to show how the nation um, continues to leave behind the South and how it continues again and again to leave behind Black folks and brown folks in places deep in the South. Because we know 
that's where um, black and brown folks are concentrated. Most of us live in the South. So it's going to be um, difficult navigating what this looks like for Mississippians, but we will always be here to take care of each other, to provide care, to figure things out. Not surprising, but definitely um, still a shock, still a deep hurt. Chriselle, shifting to you now, what would it look like in Florida had this draft been a final opinion? So um, in Florida, we have our constitution, we have the constitutional right to privacy, and that's something that has protected um, abortion access over the years. But this past session, um, there was a 15-week abortion ban passed. There was also other stipulations about like appointment setting and stuff like that. You have to have an appointment with two appointments within 24 hours of each other. And that most definitely has impacted um, Planned Parenthood's operations because we've been taking folks from Texas and uh, other bordering states. So um, it would have impacted Florida greatly, especially with the privacy clause. Thank you for that. And then we have Vienna, who's actually joining us from Texas, where SB8, a law that bans abortion at six weeks um, and actually deputizes private citizens to act uh, as bounty hunters uh, to uh, punish or dissuade people from seeking abortion access is in effect. So in, in a lot of ways, Texas is already existing most closely to what, you know, we could consider a lot of states being in should Roe v. Wade be overturned. What did you make of, what have you made of, of all of this happening right now? When I heard about the draft, I was terrified. I knew that there's so many laws that there's so many states that have trigger laws that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, majority of states would have some sort of an abortion ban. And that terrified me to know that my constitutional rights will no longer exist. Yeah. And a lot of states will end up being even more restrictive than what is already in in effect in Texas. I want to dig in a little bit to your personal stories. Tyler, you're the Mississippi State Director at Planned Parenthood Southeast. Could you trace some of your journey into uh, getting involved in the reproductive rights movement? Yeah, um, I think for me, um, my introduction to this work and my passion for this work comes directly from me having my own abortion. Um, I had an abortion the same year that the 15-week ban was passed here in Mississippi. Um, So I remember not being sure if abortion was legal in Mississippi um, because, you know, there was confusion around what that meant on the news and things like that. Um, And I just remember the difficulty that existed in getting an appointment and just the atmosphere as much as the Pink House defenders tried their best to, you know, um, keep the protesters from being so rowdy. It was just a very hostile environment going through the protesters and things like that. And from there, I knew that um, this was a fight that I needed and wanted to be in because I didn't want folks to have to experience what I experienced. Um, 
But I knew I've never felt any regret about my abortion. I've never felt any shame about my abortion. Um, But I knew that there were people that wanted me to feel that way. Um, And so I just found Planned Parenthood and found a community of people here in Mississippi um, who truly live, breathe, sleep, reproductive health and rights and justice. Um, And Mississippi already has such a great culture of activism, um, tracing all the way back to the civil rights movement. So it just made sense for me, and it still makes sense for me um, to be involved in this fight. So super excited that I get to do this work, not under these circumstances, um, but happy that I get to do it nonetheless. I think that your voice and and story is really important. And you, who better to be leading this work um, in such a hard time? So, Chriselle, you're a you're from Florida, as as you mentioned, and you work as a regional organizer for Planned Parenthood there. How did you get into this work? Yeah, so I grew up in a very small country town where Planned Parenthood did not have a presence, um, and wherever. Planned Parenthood did have a presence. It was always that they just offered abortions, um, which was fine by me, but I didn't really think anything of it up until I got to college. Um, and I remember just sitting in my dorm room, laying on my bed and scrolling through Instagram. And I saw this bright pink flyer and it was labeled Planned Parenthood and they had like free pizza. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go and see what this is about. <laughs> the free so pizza. I went. It just, it hooked you, it hooked you right, <laughs> right. in. Right. Right. But when I got there, I was amazed about by what everything that Planned Parenthood did. Not only did they offer the healthcare services like abortion, um, they also offered uh, educational seminars and then also got like they were involved in, with politics. Before I got to college, I had no clue that you could actually go up to these committee hearings in the legislature and like testify and share your story with the legislature. So I, I got started in college and from there, like I volunteered. So I was, I've been an escort. I did data entry for um, all the supporter cards that we collect when we go out into the community and table um, and crowd canvas. So um, I've done, and I've also been a part of their speakers bureau. So like going to uh, events and speaking on behalf of the advocacy arm. So yeah, that's how I got started. I've been able to reflect and to learn with and from a lot of uh, organizers down here in Florida. I have more questions about your organizing work, but one thing I did want to touch on is that I read that you still, you spend a couple of days a week working with patients at at the local health center. What can you tell us about what that experience has been like in the, in the most recent weeks? So, um, most definitely has been pandemonium for lack of better words, especially because there's a lot of information out there concerning the leak draft. And we have a lot of questions about Um, whether or not folks could actually be at our health centers because of whether, like, you know, financial troubles. Because, like I said, a lot of our patients are coming from Texas and all the other states. Um, So we have to um, accommodate their, their visits. So we help them, like, you know, find lodging, food. Have you noticed a shift in the last few weeks? Has there been a significant shift? 
Yes, um, most definitely. Especially vo- the volume of appointments that we've had and people coming in. Um, and oh, that's not only because of the confusion uh, with the leak draft, but also because what we've had going on in our own state with uh, the 15-week ban about to be implemented. Like, we're about to implement that in July. In July. Yeah, in July. Yeah. Um, and so it's just a lot of education of that. But yeah, it's most definitely a shift. Protesters as well, they've been staying out a little longer. Mm, so they're galvanized as well. Yeah. But that's really, that's really tough. I want to turn to Vienna Vienna, you are notably in the seventh grade. And I think a lot of people listening would probably say, what is a seventh grader doing in the reproductive rights movement? I was wondering if you could tell us about your journey becoming the leader of Austin, Texas's youth committee of the National Organization for Women and how that led you to speak out about Roe. Yeah, so when I heard that SB8 was announced, I was angry and terrified at the same time. And my mom actually told me to use that anger and put it into something productive. So I started just reaching out to organizations, like hoping to plan some sort of rally. And I was surprised that I even got like like responses back from them and I actually collaborated with now the National Organization for Women. And after that rally, they asked me to be part of the youth committee. And the reason why this issue for me is so important is because this fight for reproductive rights isn't just an adult issue. It directly affects the youth. And how so? How do you think it affects young people? Anybody who has a period is at risk for this law. And I just want to make sure that the youth is also represented in this fight. So I've been very fortunate to have like supportive friends and supportive family. But of course, there's always the safety issue. Like I can't use my last name. There's always the stress for the safety. But does that scare you? It does scare me, but what scares me more is having like a world where there is no reproductive rights. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can all agree on on that one. I want to dig into the actual substance of, of all of your work. You are all engaged in what I would what I would call community education, be it through events or door knocking or working with folks at the clinic. And I think for a lot of folks who are listening, we don't always know how to talk about this issue. It can feel really political. It can feel really divisive. Um, but that's not always how it feels on on the ground. And I, I think it, it would be really interesting to hear about what you guys have learned from these one-on-one engagements with other people about this issue. Um, and, and really any of you can, can jump in. Um, what has surprised you in your conversations? Is, is it basic education that is lacking? What is it for folks? So a few things have surprised me. 
Um, one, the fact that this issue is not as divisive as the media makes it out to be. An overwhelming majority of folks do want Roe to stand um, regardless of their religion or their point of view. I know a lot of folks who are um, of Christian faith who do support um, abortion access. Another thing that uh, most definitely surprised me was like the many reasons why people get abortions. And but that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things like abortion needs to be accessible for everyone, regardless of why they need it, because people get caught up in semantics a lot. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked this question. Um, At PPSC, the Mississippi team specifically, um, we have a project called Starting the Conversation. And we go door to door talking to voters in Mississippi about abortion stigma. These people don't know we're coming. We pop up like Saturday mornings around 10, knock on their door. We also found out that people want to talk about this. We like it doesn't take a lot of prying to get folks to share their opinions and feelings with us. We tell them we're there to talk about abortion. And a lot of times, yes, that's their first conversation about abortion. But it's something that they've expressed that they've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And um, another thing, and if you pay attention to the media and if you pay attention to um, different rhetorics you may get about Southerners, you may think that our politicians represent the majority of us. And we know that that's not true, because especially on the doors, people tell us that this is not a decision that politicians should be making for folks and their families. Um, And we've had people take action who have been calling um, their legislators and who've been emailing their legislators right at the door saying, hey, um, abortion is something that you shouldn't continue to play political games with. Um, And it's really great to see how folks can connect and have um, a shared understanding around an issue. It's been really interesting to see, been really um, insightful into um, thinking about how we talk to folks in the South and in Mississippi about abortion and how like... um, People just have to stop counting us out. Just give us a real shot. Have some real conversations with us. um, And you'll be surprised at what you find. Tyler, I want to pick up on something you said about politicians not representing the majority on this issue. Public opinion is, in fact, on our side. All recent polls show that a majority of Americans overall and a majority of people in each separate state are against the overturn of Roe. So, Why do you think that politicians, and particularly politicians in red states, politicians in the South, have made this such a fight and focus if people aren't actually in favor? Yeah. um, So for years, for years, um, before any of us were alive, I think, yeah, um, the uh, politicians have decided to make a abortion a wedge issue. And we know that um, abortion is often used as a as a thing to help folks who may not support the economic um, policies of one politician or one party um, be able to agree with them. Mississippi in particular, and I know 
Texas and Florida have also experienced this, but gerrymandering um, and redistricting really impacts how folks are able to get out and cast their votes and show up at the polls. So rather than people in um, the constituents of a legislator being able to pick who their representative is, um, legislators are going out and picking out who their voters will be. And we know that mass incarceration impacts um, who gets to vote and who gets to show up at the ballot as well. Um, So these politicians are not big as smart as they think they are, but as we continue to have more conversations with folks that we know and love, abortion won't be such a taboo topic um, and we won't see it being used as a wage issue as much. I think, you know, all of us are talking about this kind of overly complicated way that anti-abortion activists and politicians try to create this issue as something that's like shrouded in in taboo, shrouded in just extra complication, even though it's actually quite very, it's very simple. Vienna, what do you think that that kids get about this from your perspective as someone who is so young and understands this issue quite easily? What do you think that kids understand that adults don't? I think that kids understand that they don't want to give birth at 12, 13 years old. And I also think that they understand what like equality can look like and equity can look like. But as long as these politicians have this power to control what happens to our bodies, they can't have that anymore. And I think that kids understand what this law could mean for them, what could happen if you were raped. And this definitely needs to be more of a youth issue because it directly affects the youth. To that point, I think young people also have a really good sense of understanding that this impacts a lot of other things in our lives, too. Um, And we can just look at what's happened in Tennessee and Louisiana recently um, with the banning of Plan B and how attacks on contraceptives also directly are related to young people and them being able to have a choice of when they choose to or not choose to parent in their lives. It's abortion today, but it may be this tomorrow, or it may be um, voting rights or plan Bs or whatever the next issue is that feels like a freedom that we have. They understand that that's something that could be a risk. And so that's always nice to hear that they get it a little bit more than folks who are sometimes set in their ways. So that's already a reality in Florida. Like this, this past legislative session, there's many issues that were attacked alongside abortion rights. Like, I don't know if anyone has ever heard of the Don't Say Gay Bill um, and then also Stay Woke Act. So like a, y- a lot of young people are most definitely feeling it in Florida already. So Yeah, and I think similarly, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Vienna, in addition to the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, Texas has levied a lot of uh, legislation that's tried to attack healthcare for trans kids, banned books and a lot of books in school that talk about race and gender. How are young people in Texas feeling about that too? 
I think that the government specifically is trying to prevent the youth from educating, preventing education from the youth because knowledge is power. And to ban books, to not talk about critical race theory, it's, I don't understand how people could make these laws and now people could support these politicians that are making these laws. I think all of us are talking about this kind of slippery slope of this the slow peeling back of rights, whether it's a right to education or right to learn, it's right to access uh, an abortion or have bodily autonomy, it's a right to health care. All of these are part and parcel of really the same thing. And it, it seems to me that in order to chip away at one, you had to chip away at the other, that they're all interconnected. And I think more what has made that more and more clear is that in, in trying to unravel these issues, we have to have access to vote. Um, and voting is so, so important. And then also holding our elected representatives accountable once we have voted. So there is this kind of disconnect I think, for folks saying, hey, does my voice really matter? Does my vote really count? And then we have a system that's set up and rigged against folks who, disproportionately Black and brown folks, who want to make their voice heard and yet can't because they've been disenfranchised by voting in the country. So I guess I I was wondering if we could all talk a little bit about this connection between voting rights and and how you are messaging uh, what people can do uh, in reaction to to some of these laws that have been have been levied. I think that if you think that one one vote won't make a difference, and enough people think that there won't be any votes, and if you think that if there's a rally going on and you think one person won't make a difference, and enough people think that. Nobody will be at that rally. And like it's up to us, every single one of us, to shape this world into a better place, whether that's by voting. Um, I'm too young to vote, but I can still knock on doors and write letters. Um, So I feel like your age, no matter your age, you can still make a difference. I package this in two ways. One, just research who you are voting for and what issues that the person that are the people that are on the ballot stand for, um, as well as researching the referendums that are on the ballot, because um, as Roe is being pulled back, the issue of abortion is falling on state and local. If there's a a, a candidate who is like wishy-washy about abortion as an issue, I'm not going to vote for them because I need someone who's going to stand on abortion as an issue in Tallahassee. Um, And then second is to pay attention to the courts. Um, A lot of these district judges like look at these gerrymandering cases and like, you know, define issues. So most definitely pay attention to that as well. Tyler, Mississippi is at the center of of all of this, right? And should should Roe actually be overturned? What is that going to look like in the state of Mississippi? And what do you think that looks like for the for the future 
midterm elections there and the kind of political landscape moving forward? Yeah, so um, when the state of Mississippi asked uh, the Supreme Court to overturn Roe, they made a promise that Mississippi would be the safest place in the nation for the unborn. Um, Mississippi is also a state that has yet to expand Medicaid, so we don't have rural hospitals, we don't have healthcare providers in communities um, for people to access. We are also a state without proper equal pay legislation. So um, women identifying folks and femme identifying folks aren't getting the same pay for equal work as folks who are men or masculine identifying folks. Um, We also just rank last in a lot of things um, and we don't have access to a lot of the stuff that we should have access to. So a lot of what is about to happen is going to um, be on the back again of Black and brown women and people who are able to get pregnant, um, especially those who live in rural communities. Um, Mississippi is the blackest state in the country. Um, So um, we have politicians and legislators who look nothing like the people who they serve making these decisions that are going to impact the folks who live here. Um, And we already know what it's like for Black folks and Brown folks to already be criminalized for existing. Um, We see what police brutality and state-sanctioned violence looks like, um, but we're about to see that be the case for folks who make decisions about their own um, decisions to parent or not to parent. Um, In Mississippi, after the decision is announced, 10 days will be given for folks to continue to access abortion and schedule appointments in the state. And then after that, we are one of those states that has a trigger law. So abortion will be effectively outlawed. Um, And ideally, Florida would be a safe haven. But realistically, the closest place that folks in Mississippi will be able to go to is Illinois. Um, And for some parts of Mississippi, that's about a 10 hour drive. Um, So figuring out how to get from the Gulf Coast of Mississippi to Illinois is going to be something um, that folks will means will always be able to do. But the people who are really going to feel the brunt of road falling and honestly, all of the bad legislation that comes through our state capital are going to continue to be black and brown women and people with the uterus who can get pregnant. So row is the floor and not the ceiling. Um, So work, the abortion stigma reduction work that we're doing and the work that to get people out into the polls and figuring out voter registration and redistricting and all of that is going to help us build something um, that's way better than row. It's going to take a lot of time. And it's going to take a lot of effort, but it's possible. And in the meantime, we'll be taking care of ourselves and our community no matter what. So I want to wrap up our conversation with a little bit what you just did for us, Tyler, which is explain how you're, you are navigating this moment personally, how you are keeping on despite how difficult it it feels um, and is, and and also how people listening can help. We've got people all across the country listening to this. And I think a lot of people want to be able to contribute and don't necessarily know what the best way to do that is. 
Personally, I've been practicing self-care, just making sure to take time out for myself. Breaks are needed um, in order to fight the good fight. And then also, like, if you want to get involved, there's a few ways, like, you can reach out to your uh, to an organizer if, you, if you're not quite sure where to start because they can give you some suggestions about what you can do. You can share something on social media and that's, that's just as impactful as going door to door. And then also donating to abortion funds because abortion funds are most definitely filling in the gaps um, of, inequ- filling in the gaps of inequities Chriselle, can you explain what an abortion fund is for people who might not know? Yeah, so abortion funds are um, organizations that give out money to folks who need funds for their abortion, whether it's through for the procedure itself, travel, and lodging. Um, And also, they are a lot of other or a lot of funds uh, offer transportation or childcare. Um, so anything that has to do with um, you getting an abortion procedure, um, abortion funds help that part help them access that care. I think um, for all of us on this call, especially the Southerners, um, I think we are very proud of the places that we're from. Um, I know, Chriselle, you probably love Florida. Um, I love Mississippi. There's a deep love for Texas. So I want people to know, first and foremost, that despite what you may hear in the media, what you may read about Mississippi, Texas and Florida, there are people who here and in these places that are doing this work that really love the places that they are from and the communities of people here. So don't count the South out, first and foremost. So like Rochelle said, if you don't have money, you don't have a lot of time, the next best thing you can do is to have conversations with people that you know and love about abortion. Just ask folks, hey, what do you feel about Roe being overturned? Um, and I saw my mom do this with my brother the other day, and I thought that was really cool um, to just see her just spark a conversation like that. Um, but just ask folks and just have conversations with people that you can directly impact um, so that it won't be something that is something that we're not talking about anymore. Um, so those are the things I have. Thank you for that, Tyler. And Vienna, you're navigating being a voice for kids in in a time in Texas where things are really dark and really hard. Uh, how are you navigating all of this and going to school? I know that we have you out of school right now, so maybe that's a that's an indicator. I think that it right now it's so important to speak out more than ever because while there might be a draft for this right now and this might Roe v. Wade might get overturned or might be overturned, that'll be just the start. And that motivates me enough to keep fighting and trying to like encourage people to use their voice because they don't know how powerful it can be until they use it. Thank you guys all so much for for doing this. We really, really appreciate your time and uh, we really appreciate your work. You are our leaders and we are so grateful to have 
um, folks on the ground to to support, to lift up, and to to follow. So, thank you guys so much for for doing this. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you. Thank y'all also for the work that y'all do. Thanks so much for listening. We have a long fight ahead of us, but the ACLU was made for moments like this. To donate to support our fight against the attack on reproductive autonomy and all the attacks that follow, please visit aclu.org slash keepfighting. That's aclu.org slash keepfighting. To get involved in our people power effort to protect abortion access, please visit aclu.org slash abortion dash pledge. That's aclu.org slash abortion dash pledge. These links will be in the description box as well. Thank you so much for stepping up and working together with us. Until next week, stay strong.